We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. This thing on. See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills Podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockfell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And this is your Week 11 preview, the Indianapolis Colts against the Buffalo Bills. Well, before we get into that, Drew, we got to talk about what's on my kitchen table with Thanksgiving a week out. I have a... It's from... Yeah, it's from EJ Snyder and Brett Coleman at Bootleg Football. EJ got the original recipe of Redemption Bourbon... Honeycrisp apples and three cinnamon sticks. Combine them into a sealed jar for 10 days and then serve over ice. Oh, no. So EJ had it, tried it, and then said, oh, I would do it this way. And so I'm going to do it actually how EJ would have done it. Irish whiskey. I got Honeycrisp apples. I'm going to do one and a half cinnamon sticks and then uh ounce and a half of maple syrup. Seal it for seven days. That way it's ready on Thanksgiving Day. All right. Look at you. You, you like you're you're this you're a connoisseur of craft cocktail, and I hate it. I hate every bit of it. I hate it almost as much as I hate the Indianapolis Colts, and almost as much as Mark Smith hates Thanksgiving. I don't know how you can hate Thanksgiving is better than Christmas, I'll tell you Fox, that. Let's talk about that. Thanksgiving. Actually, you know what? Let's save that conversation, but I'll tell you what. For Festivus. For, for anyone <laughs> listening to this, tweet us at Rockpile Report. Is Thanksgiving a real holiday to you, or is it just a footnote in the Christmas season? I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. We will start next week's show with probably what will turn into a diatribe about this topic. But either way... We're here to talk about our Week 11 preview for the Indianapolis Colts and the Buffalo Bills. Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, Ralph Wilson Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The weather's going to be partly cloudy, 48, some light wind. By all accounts, a perfect November day for football. Yeah, too bad I can't go. The line is the Bills are a full touchdown favorite against the Indianapolis Colts. Which I think is wild. The crew is Brad Rogers. Brad Rogers, a crew who I have no reason to hate yet, and yet if 2021 has taught me anything, 
I'll probably despise him by the time the contest is over. And Chris, who do we have on the call? Kevin Harlan and Trent Green, okay. which I believe they are the B team for that's, CBS. That's the B team? Yeah. Jesus. That's like a strip club B team. Jesus. Yeah, they're well <laughs> they're, they're right they're right below Jim Nance and Tony Romo, so we get the B team. It'll be a good matchup. I'm sure it'll be I'm sure it'll be get good coverage across the uh, United States. Yeah, I'm, I'm done uh, betting about this. Chris, go give me my goddamn Seagrams. We didn't do we didn't do a Seagrams bet. You already drank that. That was for the Jaguars game. Look, you already drank that. You're losing God. your mind thank over God. losing thank coverage. No, map. I have PTSD <laughs> over losing coverage map bets. We're done. They're finished. Eradicated. If I was a dictator, they'd be eliminated. <laughs> We're here talking about the Colts. I mean, man, it's the Colts. There's just there's just something about this football team. First of all, they're one of those teams that you don't really think about that often, right? Well, but, they, they used to be a division rival. Yeah, like I'm old enough to remember when they were a part of the AFC East. And then they suddenly left the division when Houston was brought into the NFL back in 2022. What is it, 2002? Something like that, and they realigned the divisions, sent them to the uh, AFC South. Some really ugly football games. <laughs> and honestly, it hasn't been much better since the turn of the millennium. Here's, here's what's weird. They opened the 2000s with six consecutive wins over the Bills in six consecutive seasons, with Peyton Manning taking up a chunk of those at the helm of the offense. And when you think about it, the 2000s weren't kind to Buffalo when it came to games against future first ballot Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I'm going to run this down for you, Chris, and it's probably going to blow your mind a little bit. Two wins in 32 full games. Now, that's mean discounting any time when Tom Brady, like, got taken out at halftime because the Patriots were already like, hey, we can sit our starters. Two wins in 32 full games against Tom Brady for the Buffalo Bills in the 2000s. That's a 6.25 winning percentage. One win in seven games against Ben Roethlisberger. That's a 14.3 winning percentage. That, that includes this year. One win in three games against Aaron Rodgers, which is a 33% winning percentage, and four wins in 12 games against Peyton Manning. Now, Chris, I have one observation and two questions. First of all, woof. (laughs) First of all, woof. The Buffalo Bills have sucked against playing against other upper echelon quarterbacks throughout the 2000s. Second of all, I know Brady has kicked our ass, but doesn't it suck more to see that, just to see that quantified as a single-digit win percentage? Yeah, it does. I have pulled up on the screen here the uh, Bills and Colts yeah. history over the it's last... It's great. Yeah. A lot of losses in the early 2000s. Which is more surprising to you, that we only have one win against Big Ben ever, including earlier this season... Or that all of the elite quarter that, that of all the elite quarterbacks that the Buffalo Bills have played since the turn of the millennium, somehow the best one, the smartest one of all of them, is the one that we've had the most success against. That's insane. That's crazy that Peyton Manning was the one that we had the better win percentage against. It's ridiculous. I mean, the Colts they've kicked our ass for a while. But I still remember the 2015 home opener against him. The start of Rex Ryan's career in the very first Bills podcast we ever released. Yes. It was in the aftermath of that game that you and I sat down at my kitchen table at my old bachelor pad apartment. Yep, for that was uh, episode two to review the game. And we recorded what would have been the first game recap podcast of all time. Yeah, don't go, don't go finding it. It doesn't exist. You don't want to listen to it. Folks, if anybody still can go find that. I mean, it's on Spotify, it's Google, Apple. Go li- listen to today's show and then go back and listen to that. And count your blessings that we, we've developed and we're not hacks. We're not total hacks anyway. We, we've learned a few things. We destroyed that team that day. We nearly pitched a shutout until late in the fourth quarter. 
And it was not only the birth of this podcast, but it was also the last time Andrew Luck would ever play a game in Buffalo, New York. I'll never forget that day. Because at one point, with Luck at the helm of what was supposed to be a contender of a football team, they were forced to go for it on fourth and five in the fourth quarter. And they were playing that classical musical arrangement by one of the best composers of our era, Chris. Little John's turned down for what? (laughs) And the stadium was so loud that I couldn't hear Potter trying to talk to me. Mid-snap. They scored a touchdown on that play, but it ultimately didn't matter. And since, but I'll never forget that. I remember that like it was yesterday. And since that day, it's pretty much been all Buffalo. We beat them in the epic snow game, which I constantly brag about is the time I realized that by myself, I can accomplish anything. When I set up a tailgate in 40 mile an hour winds that sheltered and warmed and fed about 40 people. Mostly in the dark and by myself because my fellow season ticket holders bailed on me. That's right, Potter. That's right, Dan. If you're listening to this, yeah, you guys fucked me. And yet, out of just pure rage, I went out there and accomplished that. We lost We lost to him in one of those forgotten games after Josh Allen's 2018 elbow injury. Do you remember Derek Anderson in that game just getting pummeled into retirement? Vaguely. And then they started, the the following week, they started uh, Matt Barkley against the Jets, and you lost the fastest Seagrams bet in our history. You were like, oh, the Bills won't score a touchdown in this game. Opening drive, right Opening down drive, the field. 53-yard pass, 20-yard pass, LaShawn McCoy running to the end zone. <laughs> and you owe to see. It was, one of the, it was one of the greatest things. And then we saw them again in 2020, beating them in a nail-biter of a wild-card playoff game. The funny thing is that whenever we face them, they've had a different identity from the last time we saw them. And this game won't be any different. And it presents itself as one of the biggest games left on the horizon this season for the Buffalo Bills. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I'm really excited to break this game down. And here for the first time in this podcast, we have Mr. Cody Felger, host of the Bring the Juice podcast. He's a fellow Blue Wire podcaster, a cult podcaster and content creator. And out of the shoot, I've got a hot question for you, Cody. I was scrolling through your Twitter feed, and I see that you recently posted a poll about how Colts fans felt about the kicker and who they'd prefer, Rodrigo Blankenship or Michael Badgley, the Money Badger, who our listeners know I kind of take almost any <laughs> any and all opportunities to kind of punch down on, especially when it's not <laughs> going well, yeah. just over the years, and now he's playing for your team. Mm-hmm. Besides, the, the the results were overwhelmingly in the Money Badger's favor. How do you feel about that? Where do you <laughs> fall in that argument? Oh, man, you know, this is a tough one. And honestly, I, I was like going back and forth myself, so I was like, you know, I'm going to see what – Colts fans think and you know I think for me I'm kind of at the point where I'm like Badgley's been perfect so far this year well he missed one field goal I should say but he's been virtually perfect this year he's been fantastic so I don't know I'm always like I want to ride the hot hand you know I'm okay with riding the hot hand like I don't think you necessarily have to cut ties with Blankenship if you do keep him on because he's still recovering from that injury I do like Blankenship um, as well so it's kind of a tough one you know a tough decision for me I think I'm honestly okay with with whatever the Colts decide to do. Honestly, like, 
we give we give okay. I have to say this because one of my friends hates kickers. He despises kickers. I'm like, <laughs> just do your job. I don't care who you are, honestly. That's that, kind of where I'm at. That's a that's an awesome hill to die on, though. Just kickers. <laughs> they don't matter. <laughs> right. Last last week I was at our long snapper's house, Reed Ferguson, and uh, he was showing me his basement that he had redone, and he had his brother's jersey hung up. Uh, he had a Tyler Bass jersey hung up, and then he also had a Chase McLaughlin jersey hung up. Oh and I said, God. you should get all of Chase's jerseys for every team he's played for, because he's already <laughs> up to about nine teams, including the Colts. Yeah. Yep. And you know what's hilarious? I remember that. I remember that. Everybody says kickers don't matter unless you're the Detroit Lions. Unless you're the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Seriously, bro. Yeah. Oh, I was mad and nobody could figure out. My wife's like, well, you're the, you don't have a horse in that race. I was like, yeah, but as a fan of football, this game is disgusting. This game, should, <laughs> this game should be, like, this should be rated TVMA. Yeah. Ah. So. Yes. The, yeah. Detroit's had problems with kickers all year, man. I mean, who would, like, only Detroit would allow a 60, like, a record-breaking kick to, to lose. Like, that's, <laughs> that's so Detroit for you right there. Yeah. <laughs> So as we kind of pivot and talk about the, the Indianapolis Colts, offense, defense, we usually do a breakdown on both, but I feel like for your team, one of the biggest places I want to start in helping our fans understand where your team is today is kind of where you started, and that's with injuries. Your team, and I, I used to laugh because I said constantly that this was one of those situations where you just I think Carson Wentz brought it with him and I know that's stupid I know it doesn't make any sense I know it's superstition but you guys bring Carson Wentz into the building and all of a sudden people start dropping like flies and you start questioning like is this is this uh, Hemingway's is this the pearl like what are we doing here did we bring this thing in here and now everything's going to suck until we throw it back into the ocean your team has been battling injuries all year where do you guys how do you where do you think your team is today in relation to the wave of injuries that hit you earlier? Oh, man, it was awful. Like, literally, first day of training camp, people go down. Like, it's just like, how is this even happening? Like, people were literally blessing the, the training field because it was just, like, insane the amount of injuries the Colts were having at one point. So, yeah, I mean, I think right now the Colts are probably the healthiest they've been so far throughout the season, which is why you've seen them win four out of five games here. But, yeah, I mean, the injuries this year have been absolutely brutal to the Colts. I mean, you know, you you have T.Y. Hilton out multiple weeks. You have Quentin Nelson out multiple weeks. Carson Wentz misses the entire training camp. You know, then you have right now the Colts are without their two starting safeties. Julian Blackman out for the year. Kari Willis on IR. He should be back in a couple weeks. But And Xavier Rhodes has been injured the entire season pretty much, and he's been awful when he's been playing, trying trying to play through those injuries, and he's just been terrible. So, yeah, the injuries have been awful this year for the Colts. Like it's honestly comical at certain points. Like, well, that's what it. in the world is happening? Every I mean, I'm I'm a petty son of a bitch, and every time I turn around, I'm seeing another Colt on the injury report. And I remember watching that game against Baltimore, and your whole secondary is just dropping like flies. And I'm thinking to myself, they're going to injure their way out of a win. That's what's yep. going to happen. And when it ended the way that it ended, I just I wasn't even surprised by that point. Because I had just seen the toll that those injuries were taking on you guys. So coming into this matchup against the Buffalo Bills, who are your biggest injury concerns ahead of this, considering it's been such a big storyline for your team pretty much since the onset of the year? Yeah, no kidding, man. Um, At this point, I mean, some guys that got banged up, I guess Quentin Nelson got a little bit banged up in that game. The Colts are fortunate that really nobody – like they came out of that injury that that game pretty injury clean, which is good. It's kind of rare for this team this year. So I mean, overall, Xavier Rhodes is the one that I mentioned that he didn't play. He was really the only main guy that didn't play on Sunday. So I think overall, I'm feeling actually pretty good for where the Colts are right now compared to where they were a week ago in terms of the injuries. So um, right now, man, I actually feel pretty good about where the Colts are injury wise. Um, there's really nobody that that potentially could come back that was missing last week. So right now, that's kind of where we're at. Perfect. Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say perfect. I mean, I see that's again, that's the <laughs> that's the sarcasm <laughs> and the pettiness of the pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. Uh, so on defense, one mm-hmm. of the more interesting storylines ahead of this game is that despite the fact that your season looked done over a month ago, right? You start off one and four. 
You guys, you rattle off four wins in five games. You put yourself back in contention in a weird AFC. Like, it's just been a weird year for football as a whole, but a very strange one for the AFC. One of the trends that I see, just from looking at the box scores, that I think explains a lot of that, the team started this season averaging just 21 points per game on offense, but was allowing 26 points per game. And pretty much just got dashed against the rocks every time you went to play anybody who could move the ball. Anybody with a decent passing attack. I mean, L.A. puts up 270. Baltimore goes for 437, which is just crazy. But like I said, your secondary was falling apart. Every single series, it seemed like somebody else in your secondary was going down. So I understand that. What's intriguing to me about that is, well, you guys have gone on this winning streak as of late. It's mostly due to an uptick in scoring. And now all of a sudden your offense is scoring more than 30 points in essentially every game since week six. But the defense is still giving up about 26 points per game over the last month or so. Mm -hmm. You you guys managed to give up 398 yards to the Jets' backup quarterbacks, a team that the Bills just throttled to death. And to add insult to injury, it hasn't just been the pass. I mean, you guys got Darius Leonard. You got Bobby Okereke. These guys are rare athletes. And I, I... as a fan of football, I love watching these guys play when it's not against my team. But your defense is giving up yardage on the ground to some really weak rushing attacks. You get Houston, you get Seattle, the Jets. So it's just it seems like a huge departure from the top ten scoring defense we saw last year. What's yeah. changed since then? Yeah, um, and it was kind of ironic, like you say that, and then against, I know it's Jacksonville, but the defense wins you that game. So it's just, you never know with this team, man. One thing they just, they suck at doing. They're horrible at complimentary football. Like, it's either the offense is just flat-out terrible or the defense is flat-out terrible. But in, in terms of the defense, yeah, it's been awful all year. I mean, it's been terrible, um, and I think for a couple reasons. First off, I mentioned Xavier Rhodes. I mean, he's been injured, and when he's been on the field, he's been flat-out awful um, for the Colts. I mean, he's been a liability every time he steps on the field this year for them. You know, the injuries certainly don't help with losing your two starting safeties um, as well. But I do think, and it's interesting, the the Colts lost a couple guys in free agency this year. They lost Justin Houston. They lost Aniko Autry. Now, none of those guys were, like, world beaters. Like, they weren't, you know, putting up 10, 12 sacks a year or anything like that. But those were key cogs to this defense that I think, honestly, I love the Colts GM, Chris Ballard, but I think he, he missed the boat on Danico Autry. He should have brought him back, man, because, like, and it, it, it honestly just makes you frustrated because he wasn't anything special, but he provided a spark on defense when he needed one. And the pass rush has not been very good this year. Now, fortunately for the Colts, Quiddy Pay, their first-round pick, the last two weeks has been really, really good. He's had, like, more pressures, I think, in the last two weeks than he had all the beginning of the season, the other games. So he's starting to come on, but I think, yeah, certainly it's been a lack of edge presence. I mean, the Colts knew this, they, they drafted two edge guys in the first two rounds, but it still continues to be a problem because those guys are young. They're still figuring it out. I felt like you needed to bring back either Houston or Autry and they elected to bring back neither. So it's really no shock to me that, you know, that defense has taken a step back in terms of stopping the pass, but the thing, yeah, that has been jarring, you mentioned it, is the run defense. Now, it hasn't been awful, but it's not been as good. Like, last year, the Colts were, like, number two, I think it yeah, was. No, you guys were one of those. They were really good at stopping the run last year. And run they just haven't been as good. And I think, honestly, uh, I don't really have an answer because they didn't really lose, you know, any of their run stoppers outside of, you know, maybe you throw Anthony Walker in there. But that's really the only guy they've lost. So I don't really know why they lose contain sometimes. It's really weird. Maybe, you know, Justin Houston and Danico Watry are really that good against the run. But, yeah, it's been a little bit jarring this year at how, how much they've taken a step back in that department. I mean, I, and before we move on, as a, our listeners will know, I had a man crush on Danico Watry in free agency, and I was kind of pissed that we didn't land him because I watched him play against their offensive line in that playoff game last year, and I was like, I, I need some of that. I would love to have some of that on a reasonable contract. And I was surprised that they def- deferred to some younger guys. You know, you got Lewis, you got uh, Bonogu, guys who are more rotational players than stars for the Indianapolis Colts. And they kind of, I think, relied on that youth. And now that that's not, they didn't hit the ground running the way they anticipated, a lot of the focus has been put on DeForest Buckner, which is keeping him from being as, maybe as impactful as he used to be. And so, yeah. as a whole, you're watching this regression in your front seven. I mean, Buckner's your only player 
with double-digit pressures through 10 weeks of football. That's not good, but it's a symptom of having young players trying to acclimate to NFL offensive lines. Now, you said something here just about the organization of things, and this is a question that I ever since I read this article probably about two or three weeks ago. I've been wanting to ask someone from the Colts fan base. Matt Eberflus. Yeah. Matt Eberflus last year was being applauded for the job that he done with that he had done with his defense. And every struggle and every like overarching story that I read about the Colts this year, it ends with some detritus towards Matt Eberflus. I mean, and some of it's been well documented. I mean, against Seattle, end of the half, against a team that you know is going end of the first half, you know this is a team that likes to throw the ball deep. He calls cover six instead of keeping the safeties back. Leaves Kari Willis out on an island against Tyler Lockett. <laughs> that's a giant yeah. scoring play. That's a bad That's a bad call. And then in that Baltimore game, he got stuck on the concept of zone blitz and was trying to swap defensive linemen for linebackers to confuse Lamar Jackson, and it did for a while. But then when it stopped working, he had no pivot. He had no plan B. And Baltimore just ate him up in that second half. Yep. So, with that in mind, do you think the Eberflus is easy to scheme against if you're an opposing team? I mean, yeah, the dude can't adjust to save his life. I mean, we could adjust better defensively than this dude could. I'm not even joking. Like, it's it's bad, man. Like, you know, it, it, I understand. Okay, I get it. Like, Lamar's a good player. You know, I, I wasn't happy. I was obviously pissed that that happened. But you mentioned it. You had some injuries and stuff. You know, that, you know Lamar's a good player. All that stuff. The thing that just ticked me off beyond anything else, the game, like you mentioned, against the Jets, not even Mike White, but Josh Johnson, to allow the Jets to even have a chance at coming back in that game. At one point, man, the Colts were up 42 to 10. The game ended with 45 to 30. So for whatever reason, Matt Eberflus gets way too comfortable in playing that stupid. I I was going to say I hate the scheme the Colts play. I think it's a terrible scheme. I think it relies – a lot on the pass rush, and when you – it's like it doesn't match up when you let guys like Danico Autry go, but your whole scheme is based off of pressure from the edge, you know? And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me, like, why Iberflus does the things he does. Like, this has been an issue I've had with him for a long time. It's like he just cannot adjust at all. Like, he does not have, like you said, like a counter move. Whenever a team figures him out, they just go and score. Like, it's actually jarring how much that's happened this year. I've had issues with Eberflus in the past, but it's really, really become a big issue for me this year. Now, I'll give credit where it's due. He did have a really good game against Jacksonville. It is Jacksonville after all, though. Um, so I don't <laughs> hey, want to read too much into that. I was going to say, houses of glass over here. I can't talk shit because we, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say a damn thing about your game against Jacksonville. I don't. Chris, that's fair, correct? Yeah. We don't get to talk about that. No, never. <laughs> We're petty, but we're fair. This is the thing I, I, I wonder about Eberflus and just the way your team is playing. I mean, I, I play fantasy football like everybody else does here. And I see, you know, I, I have Emmanuel Sanders as a bench wide receiver, and I see that you guys are like 23rd or 24th in terms of pass yards. Like, in terms of, hey, wide receivers get off against this team. Yeah. So I go back and I start digging into the numbers. The Bills love to get downfield on safeties when defensive backs struggle to cover in zone against boundary-wide receivers. And Cole Beasley's a little bit banged up, so maybe we won't have the underneath presence that we have in the past. But when you throw in Gabe Davis, who's a wide receiver that I'm positive Colts fans remember from last year, like it, it becomes more of a vertical downfield passing attack. And so in that way, how would... How equipped do you think the Colts' secondary is right now with the injuries we talked about, with the defense Eberflus is calling? How equipped do you think they are to handle what's probably going to be a heavy dose of deep crosses, deep curls, a, a handful of just straight-up go routes? How, how do you think they match up against the Bills' wide receivers in that way? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm straight-up I'm terrified because I don't have a lot of faith that the Colts are going to be able to make Josh Allen uncomfortable, honestly. That's how Jacksonville won that game, right? Like, they got him uncomfortable. They hit him a lot. And the other Josh Allen obviously had a crazy day against him. But, yeah, I'm scared. And it's crazy to me because, like, I'm not even scared because I feel like our corners, like, they've actually been playing pretty well. 
But the fact that the Colts are missing their two starting safeties and the people who have filled in have actually been quite awful. Um, so I'm a little bit nervous on that, man. I'm, I'm nervous against these Bills wide receivers because, you know, y'all got Stefan Diggs, obviously. You got Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think you guys could have a really good day, honestly, against this defense. Um, and, and, you know, if the Colts aren't able to get pressure, I mean, any quarterback, especially Josh Allen, is going to be able to shred you. And so I think you guys have a really good chance. Like, if you have Emmanuel Sanders, might not be a bad idea to start him uh, just because of how bad. <laughs> I just don't I, I just don't have faith. If this was last year, I have a little bit more faith in this team because they showed they could shut down teams. This year, they just haven't, really, you know. They've done a few a few times, but then they go and they let 30-plus points, you know. It, oh, it's yeah. just like – I just do not have faith in this team, man. I think you guys could do basically whatever you want against the secondary right now because it's just been bad. So it's just been really bad. So a little inside baseball, guys. Start any Bills wide receivers that you have this week in fantasy. Now, switching sides of the ball on offense. Now, as I alluded to earlier, the offense, you guys started the season with... You guys were trying to pick up the pieces. It was just, hey, what can we cobble together to get on a football field? And it's not the same offense that you're fielding now. Your offensive line is healthy, or at least probably the healthiest it's been all year. And you can see that with the way that your rushing attack has really started to churn and carry the rest of this. Team health plays a major role. T.Y. Hilton's available. The interior offensive line is now, I think, gelled, and they're putting on a clinic. And the rushing attack is surging in response to that. I mean, before the Bills played Tennessee on Monday Night Football, one of the things we talked about was how much of the offense was predicated on production provided by the rushing attack. When I look at how much of the Colts offense also flows through the production of the running back here, it terrifies me. Because Taylor is one of the scariest running backs in football right now. He's a great white shark. Uh, 22 rushes of 10-plus yards. Unlike Derrick Henry... And this is what I think a big distinction, we talked about it in our preview for Tennessee. Before before we played them, I said one of the big things about Derrick Henry is that he gets most of his yards when he comes off tackle. Mm -hmm. He can get outside, get on smaller players. He can use his size and his rare speed with that size to just leverage his way to extra yardage. It's where he does most of his damage. Between the tackles, he's not scary. Then that should make sense because that's where most of your run defenders are, is inside the tackle box. That's actually where Taylor thrives. That shouldn't happen. <laughs> it shouldn't happen. He's got 6.95 yards after carry, uh, yards after contact and 5.1 yards after contact when rushing behind the interior guards through the heart of most defenses. Like that's, that's insanity to me. How... how how much fun, first of all, has it been watching Taylor just lay waste to opposing defenses? Oh, man. It's been fun, man. It's been fun to watch him. You know, the crazy thing is, he dude only had a, almost had 100 yards in the first quarter last week. Yeah. Like, that's how good this man is. Like, yeah, and he can run anywhere, you know? Like you said, between the tackles, which is just in between the guards, like, yeah, he, he is fun, man, to watch. I mean, he we haven't had a running back like this in a long time since Edron James. I mean, honestly. He's, and I think Taylor's right there with Edron James right now with how good he's been the first two years. I mean, th- this dude right now, I mean, obviously he has a lot of career to go, but he's breaking records in year number two already. Like, And so with the combination of this offensive line, all of these guys on this offensive line – at least for the most part, are really stellar at run blocking. So I think it does have to kind of scare you a little bit to know, okay, all these guys' bread and butter really is running the football, and you have number 28 behind them. Yeah, I mean, for any defense, man, I don't care how good your run defense is, you have to account for 2-8 because if you don't, I mean, he can he can easily bust off an 80-yarder on you. He's, he's one of those guys, man, that has that rare combination of size and speed that you just can't coach. You just can't teach. Chris. And, he is he has more yards after contact than our entire running back room. That seems about right. <laughs> like that's, that's hilariously bad on our part, and it's impressive on his part. One of the things that sticks out to me, though, I mean, he is the straw that stirs the drink for you guys on offense. And yet, in all of your recent losses, I mean, especially the ones to Baltimore and Tennessee, they held them under seventy yards. Yeah. How do you how were those teams able to accomplish that? Like what did they do that was special that allowed them to be the teams that stopped this? 
Yeah, I'll just say this. The Colts situationally have been an embarrassment this year. I think that's kind to say to them of how bad it's been this year. Like, for whatever reason, uh, Frank Reich has just abandoned the run at really bad opportunities, really, really bad chances to, to abandon the run. And that's just hurt this team, man. I mean, situationally, they've just been really, really bad. And I think that's the reason why Frank tries to get a little too cute, does some screens. They don't work, man. He gets way too predictable down there. And that's how defenses are able to kind of close in on this Colts team when it matters. And so I don't think the issue is Taylor. I think it's been play calling. That's honestly done him a disservice so far. That's, and see, that's damning because that's supposed to be his bread and butter. Right. That's supposed to be the reason that Frank Reich is head coach materials because, look, he's such a good play caller. And he, he has this offensive acumen. So it is weird to hear, and I've got some stats to back that up that I'm going to give to our listeners later. But it's some of the things that you see and some of the things that you're getting out of this. It is frustrating to know that you have this elite talent. Chris, That would be the, but this is the question we ask all the time about the Chargers back when they had LaDainian Tomlinson. How did you guys lose? You had one of the most prolific running backs. You have a great run-blocking offensive line. How did you lose games? And you go back and look, and it's because they put the ball in the hands of the quarterback. In Who moments, throws left-handed? In moments where they think... <laughs> in moments where they think, like, hey, we're going to... This is working. Now we're going to surprise them with something. But that surprise doesn't land. It actually just opens up the door for the other team to step through and actually make it a closer game. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for my, to my... Just my, to my fandom, not knowing what Star Latulay's status is for Sunday because of the whole COVID thing, I don't know what this run defense looks like against just a, a group of maulers. I think that if you guys did what most teams, like if this was Madden and I was playing the Buffalo Bills defense and I have the Colts, I would just run the halfback smash off center and guard Probably 15 times, 20 times. I'd throw in a couple sweeps. I throw Everything would run through the running game. And yet, mm-hmm. there exists this opportunity that your coaching staff might try to get away from that, and that's not the strength of your offense. No. And, there, like, for example, the Tennessee game, there's no reason Carson Wentz needs to be thrown at 45 times in that game. <laughs> Absolutely no reason why that needs to happen. Just things like that, that you're just like, why, Frank? Yeah, I've had a beef with Frank Reich for a long time about this because I feel like he's – continuously done this team a disservice by just not being smart situationally, just honestly screwing your team over situationally time and time again, where you try to get too cute, you get too predictable. And then all of a sudden, like you said, it opens up, uh, opens up the other team's chances to come back and win that game. And this happened so many times. It already it started all the way back in their first playoff game against Kansas City. The Colts were really good at running the football with Marlon Mack and company, and they just did it. They just refused to for some odd reason. And I don't know exactly why they do that, but I do know that if they give the ball to Jonathan Taylor in that Baltimore game, if they give the ball to Jonathan Taylor in that Tennessee game, that could be two more wins, and the Colts could be at six and what six and two at this point, or six and three at this point. Like seriously. That's how frustrating it is as a fan to watch. You not give your star players. That's like not throwing it to Marvin Harrison or Reggie Wayne in the clutch moments. Doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you not do that? Hey, Chris, that would be, that would be like an offensive coordinator that ignores Stephon Diggs in the red zone. Oh, wait, we have that. Oh, yeah, no, we have that. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's Bills fans at home just going, son of a bitch, dude, stop. They're mad at me. I'll never stop being mad at that guy. You listen, you you put our best players in position to make plays when it counts. And if you yeah. don't, you and I deserve to sit here on a podcast and drink beer and rail about it. Yeah. So speaking of best players in the moment, Wentz at the helm of this offense. Now, I won my fantasy matchup this week <laughs> because, like, despite getting a win against Jacksonville, Carson Wentz put up only six points for my opponent. Yeah. And I remember when you and I were DMing back and forth, I, I mean, I watched the Bills game, and then I was kind of half-watching the Jaguars game, Colts game, and I messaged you about it, and I was like, oh, good win today, because I saw the first half. <laughs> and you were like, yeah. oh, no, we were terrible. So I said, yeah. wait a minute, let me go back and look. Oh, my God, what happened here? And I just had to go, I went down the rabbit hole on this. I looked at the box score and saw that Carson Wentz only threw for 20 more yards than Trevor Lawrence, and neither one of them hit 200. Right. During this winning streak, 
Wentz has four games where he failed to throw for more than 235 yards, and he has three three games with less than six yards per attempt. I we talked a little bit at the top of the show about how every year it seems like every time there over the last we'll call it decade and maybe short just shy of that. The Colts have had to constantly reinvent what this offense is because of who's at the helm of it. And one of the biggest changes to the offense of the Colts this year is that for the first time in years, they have something of a cowboy behind the helm of what should be a ball control, conservative, play action driven passing attack. And the results of that, I mean, this is what Stephen A. Smith had to say about it. I'm done with Carson you know, th- this is the part that bothers me. I want to emphasize, I'm not questioning his talent. Yeah. I think the talent is there. And I don't want to call anybody an idiot. But can we say you just do idiotic things? This guy, it's less than a minute and a half remaining. You're three yards right. from your own goal line. And you... Not only throw an interception when you should have just threw the ball down, but you switch hands and throw it with your left hand and just lob it. It's like, I'm just sitting there looking. We're the quarterback. And you walk into a locker room, then, playmaker. How many times do you have to walk into a locker room knowing it's you? You made these decisions. You messed up. How many times do you have to do it before you get tired of saying, I'm sorry. You get tired of hanging your head. You get tired of knowing you're the guy. At some point in time, can't, is it too much to ask that you make sure that when y'all lose a game, at least we could be able to say, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Carson Wentz doesn't do that. There's too many times in his career where he got his head down and he walks into the locker room and he knows he gave a game away. It's too many times, and he doesn't seem to get tired of it. That's Stephen A. Smith yelling for no reason on ESPN's first take at the beginning of the month. You can find the whole clip over at our Twitter handle, at Report. Now, what I'll say about this, let's, let's break this down a little bit because he has some fair criticisms, I think, in there, but I want to hear it from the mouth of a Colts fan. How much of that is just him screaming into the ether for attention, just kind of throwing detritus around like like a lot of bloviators who get paid a lot of money on national TV do. And how much of that hits a little bit home for you as a Colts fan? um, I would say basically 80% of that is BS. I'm just going to say that right now. Okay. Uh, I mean, the man gets paid to yell at the wall. Like he could yell at the wall for as much as he's getting paid. He could yell at Chris. See, I, I yell at Chris for his stupid haircut. You can see it. You can see it. Look at this. This is what I have to deal with here. He literally gels his hair up for us to do a pot. I feel like I don't have do- I don't have gel. It, oh, this no. is in the nineties. It's modeling clay. He literally has a spray bottle that I get. I get yelled at for not calling it the right thing. What's it called? Sea salt. I have sea salt spray, clays, pomades, creams. He's asking for me to yell at him, and I just berate him. <laughs> I just yell at him like I'm Stephen A. Smith. Except instead of about football, it's just look at you. Look at you. <laughs> but no, so I get it. I get, from one bloviator to another, I get it. I get where he's coming from. But so you think that most of what he just said is is unfair? I, I want to know more about that. Yeah. Um, so I will say, like, there is a part of that that is true. I want to start there because, yeah, that was really a stupid decision by Carson Wentz multiple times. But this dude's acting like every single game the Colts have lost has been on Carson Wentz. That is the only game I can think of. That's been Carson Wentz's fault. Hell, even the Jacksonville game that everybody says Carson was so bad in. Well, every you would be bad too if you were getting pressured every other play. Oh, like the offensive yeah. line was horrendous in that game. Like literally, Josh Allen was in the backfield ninety-five percent of the time because Eric Fisher couldn't block me. Like, <laughs> so, I don't know, man. Like, just the narrative around Carson Wentz always confuses me because, like, yeah, he had a bad game. Okay. Okay, I guess we just failed to acknowledge the stretch that he just came off of where he was one of the best quarterbacks in football. I guess we just completely forget about that because he has one bad game. Right? Let's look at the let's look at the Seahawks game. The reason wasn't Carson Wentz why they lost that game. He was get, the offensive line again was the issue in that game. 
the Baltimore game. Carson put over 400 yards in that game. Why? How are you going to blame that on Carson when your defense can't stop anything? Thank you. You know, same with the L.A. game. Aaron Donald, the dude was playing on two busted ankles, right? Like, how are you going to blame that on Carson? I just – the narrative around how it's always just Carson Wentz's fault, I think that wins quarterback stats when people, like, say – Oh, quarterback wins. Those are the that's the stupidest stat in the NFL. Somewhere I, mean, right I really now, think it is. Somewhere right now, Bruce Nolan is smiling like he doesn't even know why. It's like he heard that bell yeah. ring and he's yep. like, Oh, every time I hear that, an angel gets its wings. He's he's <laughs> leading the charge against quarterback wins. But no, this is this is the the conversation that I think our listeners need to hear. Because this is kind of a common narrative you hear. Chris, how often did you hear this stuff where you don't hear it as much now? Because we have a quarterback who's throwing for almost 400 yards multiple times over the course of a season. But mm-hmm. when back in 2019, when things didn't always go well, it was always Josh Allen's fault. Yeah. Oh, Josh Allen sucked in that game. And I'd hear it every day from the person to my left. Yeah, I'd berate you. I'd scream my terrible... Like, listen, I'm willing to admit my terrible takes. I had some... I chipped my elbow falling off of a podium after ranting... Yeah, Cody, you don't even know about that. We uh, used to do drunken post-game uh, press conferences. I built a legitimate podium with a microphone stand in the whole nine, and I chipped my elbow falling off of it while ranting about Josh Allen and just how terrible I thought he was. And I'm glad I was wrong, and I'm willing to eat as much crow as it takes for me to own that. But I feel like Carson Wentz is in that same category now because when things do break down, it's not so much that it's almost like kind of the Josh Allen Situation, Like us against Jacksonville. When you make him feel like he has to do too much to win a game, he's going to try because they hate losing. These guys are NFL. This is their livelihood. They're not you or me who gets to brush off this game and go back to our normal nine to five and just pretend like Sunday didn't happen until the next time we get to get together with our friends and drink beer and scream at the stadium. This is their livelihood. And you don't make it to the NFL without being a supreme competitor. You have to have a competitive streak that... Think about the injuries he's been able to overcome because he's such a competitive human being. With that in mind, it's interesting to me that people blame Carson Wentz for the state of things here. When in reality, I see three interceptions. Right? I see I see that he's only thrown three picks on the year. What that tells me yeah. is that's a guy who's just, hey, I'm going to play within the structure of the offense. I know everyone knows me for my cowboy style of play. I'm going to play within the structure of what I'm afforded. And if all of that breaks down, yeah, I'm probably going to try to freelance a little because I hate to lose. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Exactly. And and people don't also don't consider the fact that the Colts defense, like we mentioned, the Colts defense has been awful this year. Like, so Carson has had to put up. Like, there's no conceivable reason why Carson Wentz should have been in that game in the Jets game besides the fact that the defense was just sucky. Like, you know, he scored 42 points through three quarters. The offense did. So why does Carson Wentz have to be out there because your defense just flat out is terrible? You know, it it just doesn't make any logical sense to me. And also, like, you know, people say, oh, only 17 touchdowns. You know, it hasn't been, like, insane MVP numbers. (laughs) Well, I'm like, you have Jonathan Taylor. You know, he's scoring a lot of rushing touchdowns. You're doing different things with your offense. He's not Josh like he's not Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes where he has virtually no running game and he has to go throw it all the time, you know? Well, exactly. And that's where this kind of breaks down and this is what I want to know from you. So in terms of the structure of this offense, we obviously know that it runs through Taylor. We know that that's a thing. We know he is the he's he's the key cog in all of this. When the ball is in Carson Wentz's hands, who are the players that the the Bills secondary needs to be most concerned with? Sure. Well, I think you got to start with Michael Pittman Jr. You all saw him in that playoff game over 100 yards against you guys, and uh, he's not looked back since then. He's he's actually you know stepped it up from his rookie season. I think he's built actually off of that game. And he's been clearly the number one wide receiver for the Colts. I mean, I think he's top 10 in receiving right now. He's been really a legit, like he has been on fire. So I think he's the first first priority that you need to cover. You need to get whoever your best corner is, Herbavius White, on him because he is that good of a guy, uh, that good of a player. Um, I think also Mo Alley-Cox, the tight end the Colts have, I think he may have scored in that game or he had a big catch, I remember, 
in that Buffalo game. I mean, the dude's just a matchup nightmare. I do so remember that because Western. I remember yelling yeah. angrily that you shouldn't. I was like, nobody who has three names should be catching a pass like that and throwing a beer outside <laughs> out my back door. <laughs> yeah. So uh, him as well. I mean, he's more of the red zone guy there. He's he's six foot six, nearly 280. So he's he's a monster to try to take down. Yep. And then, you know, you have guys like Jack Doyle who, you know, he's nothing special, but he's always going to find a way to get open. You mentioned T.Y. Hilton. He's coming back. Um, his only his – I think it's his third game back this year. He's been injured, but he's he's finally coming back. Um, hasn't done a whole lot this year, but, you know, he's still a dangerous guy, I think, when with Carson Wentz. They were developing some chemistry early on. So um, he's always a threat. You always have to just, just – Oh, for sure. You, I mean, I saw, like, what, he had five targets against Jacksonville, and they was, like, five yards – he had one catch on five yeah, targets, but they're trying. Those five targets alone tell you they're trying to acclimate T.Y. Hilton to the game plan. So if you're an opposing coach, you have to be prepared for them to try to find a way to utilize him. And so it's going to be interesting to see how yeah, the Bills sure. combat this because, Chris, this has Tennessee game written all over it, right? Mm, I don't know about that. Stud running back with, a, would argue, a better offensive line, at least on the interior, and then... You're talking about a group of wide receivers who might not set the world on fire, but they're opportunistic when everybody's eyes are in the backfield. That's all you need. I think, if anything, Bills fans should have learned their lesson against the Titans. We can't afford to be surprised by people. Now, it'll be interesting to see if that first go against the Titans and another elite running back and a team that's heavily predicated off play-action passing and just the threat of the run being paramount, changes the way that they're willing to play. I mean, I'm interested to see I'm interested to see if the Bills try to get cute and see if they can get away with light boxes in order to stop the play action passing over the top of the linebackers that killed them against Tennessee. Because in that second half, they throttled us with that. And I can see Michael Pittman finding that same AJ Brown just kind of slow curl across the back of the linebacker zone and bringing in passes for chunk yardage and just sustaining drives. It's going to be interesting to see what they learn from that first matchup and what they bring into this because this team is built in a very similar mold with, I think, a quarterback who maybe, I'd say, Tannehill has a higher floor but a lower ceiling than Carson Wentz. And so I'm interested to see where that goes. For me, this game is more just about the Bills trying to, like, hey, shake off the specter of these few weird losses, prove that you can go up against a heavy rushing team. You do that, it's going to do a lot to dispel some of these narratives that have come along since our loss to Tennessee, that the Bills aren't one of the more complete teams in football. I mean, I know the announcers talk about it, but fans don't believe it. This fan, this game is going to go a long way towards that. I'm really interested to see how it turns out. Now, now Mr. Felger, you guys have a very successful YouTube channel. You guys have a great podcast. I, I'd you. urge you guys to go check it out especially their YouTube channel. They're doing some really unique stuff over there, some live game some live game stuff, which, Chris, I think that that's crazy. Can you imagine me being on camera live during a game? Uh, well, we would get demonetized. We would get canceled immediately. <laughs> we would be canceled immediately. And yet these guys do it, and they do it really well. Where can people find your work on social? Where can they find you on YouTube? And where can they find your podcast, sir? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me. Really appreciate uh, you got your guys' invite. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, as far as like where you guys can find me, um, you know, as far as like me personally, you can find me um, on Facebook. Or you can find me on Twitter at cpfelger55, um, and you can find the podcast out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at BTJ Pod. Um, as far as like listening goes, you know, we're pretty much everywhere. Like, you know, we're part of Blue Wire, so we're obviously like on all those different networks as well. You know, we're on. You know, Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all those all those things. Um, and then, yeah, YouTube, you can honestly just type in Colts Podcast and we'll, we'll show up there um, on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it in terms of, of where you can find us. But, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Really appreciate it. Cody Felger, he's on Twitter at CPFelger55. Go follow him. Go, Go give him a f- subscribe on YouTube. Their yeah. YouTube content is phenomenal. Go wa- I'm really impressed by it. Go watch or listen to their podcast. <sighs> what, Bringing the Juice Bring podcast? The juice. Nothing to do with OJ? Nothing to do with OJ, unfortunately. White Bronco. 
Like what? Well, that could be a white colt, white bronco, same family, same family, yeah, same family of animal. What? What a weird. Jesus, the juice. <laughs> what a weird era in Bill's history, folks. That brings us to this week's keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. I'm feeling strong tonight. First of all, I don't think this needs to be said. This is going to be a sandpaper football game. The Buffalo Bills, Chris, I don't want to seem like I'm throwing shade at our own team, but do the Buffalo Bills strike you as a football team that maybe win based on finesse more than they win based on brute strength? That is absolutely correct. I would not, ex- I would not expect the Bills to have to play a team and go ground and pound, north south hard nosed football. Okay, this is a lot like hockey. Yeah, when we're like the Harlem about, Globetrotters. Well, when you talk about when you talk about the hockey teams, this is this is kind of the same thing. There's some teams that just have more sandpaper than others. Yes, sometimes that you know what that reminds me of the when the Bruins beat the Canucks like ten years ago in the Stanley Cup final. The Canucks with the Sedin twins were some of the most physically gifted, and they would they were outscoring everybody that season. They were def- they would be a definition of finesse. So Boston beats them in seven games because Boston has more sandpaper. Boston was down three nothing in that series. Came back. Won the series in Vancouver. City tears itself apart. And then Vancouver decided, well, well, we need some sandpaper. So let's take Cody Hodgson, send him to Buffalo, and get Zach Cassian, who is sandpaper. Yeah, I get it. And that's the thing, I guess. This is going to be a game where the Buffalo Bills have got to bring. Like, this is a big boy pants football game. There's a lot of them where you say, okay, I know everybody's going to play with a little physicality. This is going to be a four-quarter fist fight. A a prize fight, if you will. It's going to be a boxing match. One of the keys to victory is going to be corralling Taylor between the tackles. We touched on it earlier. He's one of the most prolific running backs at getting up into the heart of your defense and yet still making guys miss. There's a reason that they sat Tremaine Edmonds last week. To be ready for this? To be ready for this, because without him, I mean, his practice this week, all eyes should be on his health for this game, because this is the game where you need, in a year where Tremaine Edmonds is playing the most physical football of his entire career, this is where you need him. You need him to be commanding the middle of that defense. So are we going to be, like, stacking the box? I don't even know about stacking the box. You're going to trust that the rare athleticism that you've accumulated at linebacker is going to allow you to play nickel defense and yet still crash the line of scrimmage with enough authority and enough run-gap sound defense that you're not going to let him beat you. That's it. (laughs) That's what that comes down to. If you lose that battle, then pretty much everything else after that doesn't matter. This is a running back who, if his coaches will allow it, could run for 200 yards on a lot of teams. In that way, it's going to be on us to, at least between the tackles, make him stretch it out. Make him get out there where our athletic defensive backs, our safeties can come down and fill. He cannot be allowed to beat us up the gut like he has so many other football teams. You're not going to win if that happens. The second key is making Wentz improvise. Wentz had just had, he has just three interceptions all season, mostly because he's been somewhat conservative within the structure of the offense and hasn't had to freelance a ton. Now, as Stephen A. Smith touched on earlier, he's fucked up a handful of times. Yeah, When he does make mistakes, they're critical mistakes, and they cost his football team games. And at the same time, he doesn't make a ton of them, but when you can make him, they are glaring. The Buffalo Bills are going to have to try to force that issue. And I think part of the problem with that is going to be most people say, oh, we'll get pressure. Their offensive line is one of the better offensive lines in football right now. 
It's the reason that Taylor's so good between the tackles. It's the reason that Taylor's so good point blank and period is that he's got some elite blocking in front of him. Nelson's like the best guard in football. And it's I mean, the, that dude will wreck anyone. Oh, God, he's a monster. And it's the reason that Carson Wentz doesn't have more forced errors. In that way, you're not just going to be able to win by putting heat on him. You're going to have to get creative. So what I, I'd i like to see from the Buffalo Bills defense, simulated pressure and shifting zone man concepts. Kind of like what we threw at Patrick Mahomes. That's, in my mind, going to be one of the keys to winning this football game. You need to make Wentz feel as though he doesn't have anything available and has to press the issue while also taking away the run. When he throws, you have to make him feel like he has to freelance. Both Taylor and Wentz are rushing threats. And so while we have to play zone to mitigate the impact of that, we also have to make Wentz second-guess himself. Those three picks that he has... The number's so low because he is trying everything he can to play within the structure of the offense. But when you make him feel that same pressure, like we talked about earlier, he'll pull a cowboy like Josh Allen, except he sucks at it, and Josh Allen's great. Yeah, usually when he does, he'll get injured or rip an ACL (laughs) or break his ankles. It's going to be on our defense to make sure that when he does throw the football, you make him feel as though he has to press. And if it's going to take multiple looks in order to do that. Man looks, zone looks. You're going to have to mix and match and rotate and just hope that in a game of rock, paper, scissors, you can force a couple turnovers that'll stem the tide of what they're going to throw at us on the ground. And then in one of the final keys, keep the Colts coordinators on their toes for four quarters. The Colts have had some great games this season. And yet, even as they're on an impressive streak that has them at over at least 500 for the first time all season, there are flaws that stand out to anybody who's willing to do the analysis. We talked a bit earlier about the struggles of their defensive coordinator to have a plan B. If an offense comes out with an attack that they didn't account for or if a pivot occurs mid-game. I think we learned in the Jets game that Dable has finally gone back to the drawing board and put some new creative wrinkles in place to ensure that a more diverse attack than what we've seen, at least over the last month of football from the Bills, exists. Their red zone acumen in particular and variance of approach in the last game is kind of an indicator of that. I think in the battle of our offense versus their defense and our offensive coordinator versus their defensive coordinator... I can see that while they might win some rounds, it's going to be difficult for the Colts to keep our offense at bay for four full quarters. They just don't have the personnel on hand to do it. But in the matchup of Frank Reich and the Colts offensive coordinator Marcus Brady versus Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, this is the crux of the game. Reich has come under fire from the Colts fan base. You heard it from Cody. By saying that he, they even admit, he admits that he gets too cute during games and he's constantly trying to outsmart people rather than simply stick with what he knows works, often to his and his team's detriment. In the game against Jacksonville this past week, they got away from inside zone runs and playing with physicality on offense, and the whole second half was draw plays and outside zone runs that never materialized. They tried to operate a screen game which saw... They kept throwing screen passes to T.Y. Hilton. He had five targets and one catch for five yards, Chris. Like, it's not working. Why are you still doing this? And that allowed the Jacksonville Jaguars to expose their pass defense. And next thing you know, it's a game. Like, like you look at that, all of a sudden... All of a sudden, Jacksonville's back in a game where they were losing... 20 to what 20 to 3 at one point <laughs> all of a sudden it's 17 20 yeah it's that's an ugly look for the Colts and there's some factual merit when you look at 2021 so far the Colts have had led three different times to the Titans and yet lost both those games they held a 22 to 9 lead over Baltimore in the third quarter of that week five matchup and then went on to lose the game in overtime. Just this past week, neck and neck with the two-win Jaguars, you have a 29 lead. 
You won by six, but it took a field goal with just two minutes left to put the game out of reach. And it was still just a one-score game. (laughs) It's weird. The Colts are the fourth-ranked scoring offense in the third quarter of games in the entire NFL. The Bills are tied for fifth. And yet, when games get to the fourth quarter, the Bills are still a top-five scoring offense, where the Colts plummet to 20th in the NFL. Those rankings and the dynamics that I just described paint a picture of a team that, if you're thinking about football in the context of boxing, you can drag that team into deep water in the late rounds and just outlast them. As long as your team has a sharp offensive acumen, better offensive talents than they have defensive talents, and more composure from their coaching staff. And I think that last one is maybe the most important. This season, while this streak for Indy might have been impressive, it's worth noting that they're 0-5 when playing teams that have made the playoffs last season from their respective conferences. All of this stuff combined tells me that this football team, for all their talent in key positions, and maybe their stylistic makeup that would seem to make them a threat to Buffalo in this contest, just aren't the contenders that people are making them out to be. It's going to be on Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott to prove that and to come out and make sure that they can keep this game close enough for through, the, through the first three quarters where the Colts tend to throw the kitchen sink at you and then late kind of fade and make Wentz and Taylor scrap and fist fight for every yard and every point they get throughout the early goings of this one. Because if we can get this prize fight into the 10th, 11th, and 12th rounds... We're the better coach team with more horses on both sides of the ball. And I think that this Bills team can scrap out another victory against the Colts for a second consecutive year based on that. This is like Rocky versus Drago. You're supposed to lose this one because your opponent is more physical than you. They're perceived as being tougher than you. But you're smarter. You're savvy. Most of all, you're better coached and your team has more heart. I feel like that's where this is. These are the lines that this game is going to break down across. How do you not feel good about the Bills odds in that in that context? I have a feeling this game's going to be a um would be an over game. Really? Yeah, if wow. cuz well, if stars out Right? Stars on the COVID list. We don't know. Don't know. We don't know. So he takes up space, right? Generally allows for the linebackers to flow, right? So if he's out and those linebackers can't flow and their running game's on point, they might be uh, running up into the end zone. What's the under over? I have no idea. Go look it up because I feel like a Seagram's bet, sir. Oh, a Seagram's bet. I don't like your attitude. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the cocky attitude you're approaching this conversation with. Maybe it's just the moose head talking, but... Well, I'm... I feel I, like Frank Costanza. You want a piece of me? <laughs> the, uh, well, I think the Bills can get up and down the field quickly because Cody was saying that their defense isn't that great. And with Allen and his weapons, if they're on point, you know, you're looking at maybe five-minute drives. So, I don't know what the under is. Fifty. 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 You want to take that, sir? Cold weather day in Buffalo, New York. You're going to take the under or over on fifty. How do we got? Do you have a coin? No, this <laughs> moosehead cap. So, uh, the top of the moosehead cap is fifty and a half. Fine. And then the underside is forty nine and a half. I don't want to play the exact number. Got to throw in a half point. So we have. Forty-nine and a half. Forty-nine and a half. Over. Forty-nine and a half. You're taking the over? Yeah. I'll take the under. All right. Seagram's bet. Also see you in hell. All right. (laughs) Guys, this is going to be a great one. If you're going to be at the stadium, come check us out in the mud lot. Come hang out. We're going to have a spread. It's going to be a lot of fun. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was Cody Felger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report.